I love this season that our church is in. I just feel like there's something fresh. There's something uh, new kind of breaking and taking ground, as Pastor Steve has said. And he's had the privilege this past weekend to be in Australia uh, installing Phil and Lucinda Dooley as the new permanent senior pastors of uh, Hillsong. And so he was their youth pastor way back in the day. And so for him to have that honor and privilege as they turn over a new leaf uh, is an exciting time to be able to shape and influence that. So he'll be back with us as we gear up for Vision Sunday next week. You guys are good. I'm good. I don't need the soft melody behind me. But he's going to be back with us as we get ready for Vision Sunday. And I just love that we're in a season where the church isn't sitting idly by. That it's no longer time that we just sit because the world needs the church. The world needs you. Not to just sit idly by in a world that doesn't make any sense. And there's a lot of things that don't make any sense right now. And we were talking last night in the house and Groundhog Day makes no sense. (laughs) That we have entrusted our weather to an overinflated rodent to tell us whether or not now, sadly, there was somebody in our house last night that realized that's all kind of staged for the first time. They didn't really realize it doesn't really tell us the weather. And we talk a lot about the weather on, on our kind of OC pre-service, and so I'm sure they talked about it a little bit because it was cold this week. It was minus 46 degrees somewhere in New York this week or New Hampshire, which is crazy. Thanks, Groundhog Day. Appreciate it. But other things that don't make sense. We, for whatever reason, when we're going through the alphabet, there's this grouping of letters that we just try to say as one. And just get like H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R. We just try to get it out. Or speaking of weather, how can it be hot as hell one day and cold as hell another day? Is hell hot or is it cold? I don't know. Or one of my favorites, when you're warming up something in the microwave and you're watching it and it's going down, and you're going to hit that, you hit that button at one second, like you just defused a bomb, like you were the swat, I got it. Like you just saved your house from, Ch- from some Chinese spy drone. And good job to our Air Force guys getting out from behind your desks and doing something yesterday. We appreciate it. Another one that... Running doesn't make sense. People that like to run, I should say. We live near high school, and so these, these, these little sadistic freaks that run by just talking to each other while they're running on a cross country. I'm like, what are you doing? I've been running, well, uh, jogging for like a year or so now. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm the guy that's prepping. When I see you about 100 feet out, I'm like, okay. I'm a second wind, but I'm going to stop breathing so they don't hear me when, I, when they go by. And they're going to bust it. And if, if, if they're one of those really weird people, they're going to say like, hey, good day for a run. I'm like, I can't muster up the energy to wave back at you. I'm, I'm, I want to do something back at you, but it's probably not wave. And so there's plenty of things that don't make it. I mean, for those that grew up in my generation and maybe some of the older millennials, like, nowadays, you just kind of leave your friends on red, or you ghost them, or, you know, all that type of stuff. We used to rank our friends publicly on MySpace. Like, we had our top eight, and we just put it out there. Like, yep, my wife's in my top eight. John's in my top eight. Sam's in my top eight. Next week, Sam's not in my top eight. Don't know what he did. I just ranked them. 
savage. Just put them out on blast all over the place. Or, again, growing up as a kid, I do not condone this behavior, but we used toilet paper and eggs as a weapon. (laughs) It was in such abundance, we threw that stuff into the trees like it was just there for decoration or eggs at houses, and now these are commodities on the black market. Like, you got some eggs? Cage-free? Nine dollars, that's a good deal, and you're trading it on the black market. Because this one kind of hits home for us more so than some others. You can be shopping online, as most of us do, and you can put like hundreds of dollars of stuff in your online shopping cart. And this might have happened at Christmas. And as soon as that $5.99 shipping comes up, no, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. She spent 48 hours, my wife, 48 hours looking for a free shipping coupon for some candles. <laughs> like legitimately, I'm like, just buy the candles. Do you want to go? We could have gone to Linhaven Mall by this point and bought it. No, no, I'm not going to the store. Well, do you want the candles? Pay the $5. You're paying 60 bucks for candles, but not shipping. You never knew you needed Prime so much in your life. But what happens when, when life really doesn't make sense, when God doesn't make sense, and what you're going through, when you're facing challenges that just don't seem to line up, and you're like, I've been in church all my life. Why, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And I've been reading, or rereading, I should say, a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Probably ranks in the top 25 of Christian books of all time if you've never checked it out. And it's in those moments that we realize, do I know God or do I just know about God? And friend, can I tell you, the chase is worth it. The chase to know God is worth it. The chase to sort through things when they don't make sense is worth it because our life is this sort of fragmented puzzle that we throw together. And so it's all these pieces, and this is it. And we look at it. Sorry, whoever has to pick that up. But our life is made up of all these pieces and we start chasing things and we start trying to put things together ourselves and we want things to look good and so we have our good pieces over here and we're like, yep, this is the good stuff. This is where I was successful in business. This is where I got married. This is where I had kids, all right. Okay, hold on, hold on. I got some anxiety and depression. Hold on, let me get this out of here. I don't want this piece. Oh, I had some marital challenges. I went through a divorce. I don't want that piece. And we try to hide things and a fragment is this isolated or unfinished piece. That's one of its definitions. And I love the heart of God that we see in John chapter 6, 12 through 14. He says, so then they were filled. And this is when he fed the thousands. He said, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them, filled 12 baskets up. And then at the end in verse 14, it's like, then they realized he's the prophet or he's him. It's literally like my kid's screen name on 2K because everybody's, oh, he's him. Like it's Joel's screen name. I think he even went double him. He went himmy him. But the Karen's concern of God because he didn't just care about that stack. He cared about that stack. And he wants every single piece. And we've got to learn in the chase to chase the right pieces. Because it says in Philippians 1, 6, he who begun a good work will complete it. 
And so you've got to understand it's the whole picture. And we, we're not meant or designed to live in this isolated, fragmented society and that we separate ourselves from us, the good, the bad, and we compartmentalize so well and we have this life here and another life here. And so we try to hide all the bad things. It's when we try to do that that our life gets out of alignment, just like a car gets out of alignment on a road. When there's a fragment missing from the road and the wheel hits it, the tires get all out of alignment, kind of get a little jacked up, and you kind of have to hold the steering wheel a little bit sideways to go straight. And some of us are driving our lives like that, holding it a little bit sideways just to try to go straight because we're trying to hide the pieces that we don't like. But he never discarded any single piece. It is all part of a bigger picture. It is all part of something bigger than ourselves. We wouldn't pick up the messy parts, but he has the compassion to look at it and says in Isaiah 61, 3, I'll give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the spirit of praise for the gar- or a garment of praise for the spirit of despair. He takes each and every single piece. And what are the fragments in your life that are causing the puzzle to not, but not yet be complete? What are the fragments that you haven't gathered up that you tried to push aside because you don't want that in your picture? And maybe you chased the wrong pieces, and maybe you picked up something, and you say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to chase success. And so you put, it, you put it there. All right, success, yeah. And so you start trying to put the puzzle together yourself. And you start looking at different things, and you start seeing, well, as you try to put together the puzzle, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because you chase it, success, and then you're like, well, now I need some money. Because i got to give it. And you start to try to put the picture together. And there'll be pieces on the screen here shortly that you try to pick up these things. And so now it's like, oh, I'm chasing significance. And so let me, let me get this. And you're trying to line them up. Each and every piece that you're chasing. Rather than chasing the right pieces and allowing God to fill in the holes around. Allowing God to write the story of what's going on. Because, see, sometimes we view, like, persecution as a manifestation of some other person's hate for me. Persecution is not a manifestation of another person's hate for you. It's a manifestation of the enemy's fear of you. And so when you begin to look at it and you start trying to put all these things, okay, significance, yep. Oh, happiness, I got to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy, so let me put that there. And so we start putting it together, and it's a mess. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make the picture that you think it's going to make. Because it's just this discombobulated piece of, of work that you're trying to put together because you're chasing the wrong fragments. You're knowing about God, but you're not knowing God. And you've got to chase the right pieces. And I love what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Paul says to him, he says, So that when I, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. And we're kind of in a modern-day Ephesus, if you don't know. Stay there in Ephesus. So you can command those people to stop teaching the false doctrines and chasing endless genealogies and myths. Because those things create, promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And he goes on to say the goal of this command is love. The goal of what command? Advancing God's work. The goal of this command is love. And it's not these other pieces that you're chasing. Because the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And those are the pieces we're meant to be picking up. 
Not trying to chase success, not trying to chase happiness, not trying to chase significance and hiding all the things that we don't like that we don't really want other people to see. We're meant to chase a pure heart. And we pick up a pure heart, the picture starts to be a little clearer. It starts to come into play. And so you see these images of a home, and that's the first part of this puzzle that we're putting together of a pure heart. And so you see these things that come together, and that home signifies and represents really at its core a place of purity. And I know for many people in here, your home may not have represented that. But at its, at its core, that's what it was meant to represent, a place of safety, a place of refuge, a place of hope, a place of healing. And when you chase a pure heart, see, because our motives are revealed when we try to pick up the pieces. And when we try to force it together, it kind of tests out our motives. And when we live this fragmented life, and so it kind of creates cracks in the foundation, it creates cracks in the integrity of who we are. In Proverbs 11.3, it says, and the integrity will guide you. Psalm 41.12 says, the integrity of the upright will put you in his presence forever. Psalms 24.3 and 4 talks about who's, who can boast in. Who's going to ascend to the mountain of the Lord? The person with clean hands and a pure heart. What's influencing our heart? What's influencing your heart? Is it all the pieces you're trying to craft together to tell the story, story and meticulously put together and say, okay, this is good. This is what I want. Everybody's going to think I'm successful. Everybody thinks I've got it together. I've got the perfect family. I've got this other stuff, even though we know it's all a hot mess. What's influencing your heart? Is it fear? Is it fear of failure? Is it fear of rejection? Because 1 John 4, 17 and 18 says, this is how love is made complete so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We're like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The goal of this command is love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, and I think too often we view sin as a failure of performance rather than a failure of intimacy. Because fear has to do with punishment. We're so concerned about, well, is it the right behavior? When our kids mess up, it's not so much that they mess up or their behavior that, that you're trying to correct or adjust. It's because they broke the values of your home. That peace that you're trying to put together of a pure heart. And when we fall short, it's not that we messed up. It's not some bad behavior. It's because we despise the living God that loves us and the sanctity of our hearts, the purity of our heart is put out of place. That second piece that you have to gather, a good conscience. When you begin to gather that good conscience, it begins to be guided by something. Our mind's not going to be perfect. You don't lose your ability to rationalize. You don't lose your ability to reason. You don't lose your ability to question things. But when you see the good conscience up on the screen, you see a lighthouse as that puzzle comes together and you begin to understand verses like Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. 
And it provides a little bit of a safe haven for your home. It provides a little bit of a covering for your home because your mind is toward the things of God. Because people are going through stuff. version, which has 565 million users or something like that across the world, their most shared verse last year for 2022, I think, was Isaiah 41.10. Most shared across its platform, which says, do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with my hand. Over and over, 565 million users, that's the most shared verse. The most highlighted passage on, any, on all Kindle devices throughout the world. Number one's a Bible verse, not some other book. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 the most highlighted passage on Kindles across the world. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your petition known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. A good conscience. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Is your conscience toward the things of God or am I filled with conjecture? That verse in 1 Timothy said these things promote controversial speculations. Our world is filled with conjecture, filled with speculation, and speculation stagnates. But where is your mind placed? Are you picking up that piece? Are you too worried about success? Are you too worried about fame? Are you too worried about fortune? Are you too worried about happiness? Are you too worried about love and affirmation? And it takes you away from the fight of faith. Because 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19 says, so by following them, you may fight the battle well. Some translations say fight the good fight. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some of people have abandoned these and thus have shipwrecked their faith. Are you picking up a good conscience? Don't become more developed in your emotions than you are your spirit. Emotions are real and they are necessary, and you can be emotional without being spiritual. And you can't really be spiritual without involving your emotions, but don't become so overdeveloped in your emotions that you lose sight of knowing about a God that transcends everything and knowing a God that transcends everything. That third piece of chasing the right piece is a sincere faith. And you start to see the puzzle fully come together. And you start to see that what, there was the house. There was the light, house. In a sincere faith, now there's waves crashing against the shore because storms are going to come. But in the sincerity of faith, the whole picture begins to start to make sense. You begin to look at it, and you've got sort of this protection around it that you can face the challenges and in all sincerity and know that troubles will come, but there is a God who is chasing after you with his goodness, as we sing this morning. He's chasing after you with his goodness, despite what you see, despite the storms that you have. Because faith, the goal of this command is love. So we said earlier, Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love. And love works by obedience. John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commands. 
a sincere faith that can embrace the challenges, that can embrace the things you're walking through, the things that hurt, and still worship a God that loves you, that is for you. And you begin to understand, and you begin to get passionately involved in the, the lives of others, because when you put those things together, you can't help but to want to help others. It's why we do the things we do as a church. What we do as a church is not to get something out of you. It's to help you become everything God wants you to be. This life is about what you can become, not what you can do. It's why we do legacy through the course of a year. It's because you're leaving something beyond just yourself and investing it into the generations. It's why you get involved in a small group, in a community group, because you can say, guys, I've got a whole stack of pieces over here that I need some help with. And I don't really want anybody to know this, but I can't get through it without it. And when you begin to pick up the good conscience, the purity of heart, and the sincerity of faith, it begins to put together this picture that is there. And I love what Philip Yancey wrote in one of his books, that faith is trusting in God in advance. Faith is trusting God in advance, what only makes sense in reverse. That complete picture were the same puzzle pieces as earlier. And it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense down here. The chaos of our lives, the chaos of our world. And we get caught into speculations, and, and you got a lot of TikTok theologians out there nowadays. But I love what Tozer said, A.W. Tozer said, the devil's a better theologian than any of us, but a devil still. And the picture doesn't make sense looking at it from this angle. But in reverse, you begin to see where God put every single thing into its place. And he took your mess and he put it right where it needed to be. And he took your hurt and he put it right where it needed to be. And he took the sincerity of your faith and created something that gave you a shelter of refuge and hope and healing. Because the chase is worth it. Life doesn't make sense. It's exacerbated by sometimes our chaos and our choices. And Packer, in that same book, Knowing God, wrote, If you ask why is this happening... No light may come. But if you ask, how may I glorify God now? An answer will always be there. So you gotta chase the right pieces. And you gotta chase satisfaction. And I don't mean the satisfaction that on surface means or Secular means of those things. I mean being satisfied in God. Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm only satisfied with the dissatisfaction that has to be satisfied again and again. I'm only satisfied with the dissatisfaction that has to be satisfied again and again. It's why you get involved in a life-giving community because you come in, you get refreshed, you get healed, you get whole, you get faith built up inside of you, you get peace, you get understanding and all of those things and then you go out and you have to do it all again because there's another layer of knowing God. There's another layer of understanding and knowing God at a deeper level. Psalm 63. And I may go back and forth for those in the back running the words. Um, we'll see how we go. But Psalm 63, it starts with God, you are my God. And we could stay there a while. 
Because the simplicity of that statement is the secret for everything that follows in this psalm. God, you are my God. God, you are Josh Kicker's God. Both in his transcendence and his eminence, he's made himself worthy of worship. His transcendence, because he's bigger than everything. He's the exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God that Pastor Steve so eloquently preached about last week. He's the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the giver of every good and perfect gift, and is beyond comprehension. His transcendence makes him worthy of worship, but his eminence makes him knowable because he's brought himself near to you, and he's made himself knowable. The vastness and bigness of this God has made himself knowable to the individual. God, you are my God. God, you are James Schubert's God. God, you are Jason Beery's God. God, you are Mark and Karen Ganucci's God. And you could stay there for a long time and just dwell in that. Your Celeste's God is watching online, part of our online campus. Your Heidi's God. He's not just the God of Israel. He's not just the God of ancient times. He's not some theological construct or abstract being. He is my God. And something in this past little bit has got me a little stirred up about this again because Pastor Rob Koch messed with us on staff retreat, talking about God and caring about only the things God cares about and what God thinks of you, not what others think of you. And Pastor Steve, talking about taking a new ground in this new season, it's going to take an earnest pursuit of God. Because it can't be like it was. It's a different world. And it can't be the same. God, you are my God. It goes on to continue to say, earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. And there's just something about it that I hope I'm conveying and knowing and seeking after a God that loves you on such an individual level. During our online pre-service thing that we do, my wife was giving New Year's resolutions. We talk about what? We talk about all sorts of good stuff. You should tune in. It's before the service. It's before most of you here anyway. <laughs> but... But we were talking about New Year's resolutions, and our New Year's resolutions was finding God in everything. And she said this, I'm going to air out some dirty laundry here too as well. She said this in the midst of what was probably our more honest and rawest discussions, arguments that, that we've had that, I mean, full silent treatment, I'm talking like, Besides perfunctory words like, are the kids are still alive? Yep, good. <laughs> Besides that, like probably two weeks of straight silent treatment. Now, here's the thing. I'm pretty stubborn. So, and I'm introverted. <laughs> and I'm a guy, so I only have so many words. Silent treatment, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'm going to win this. 
Let's see how long this thing goes. I mean, we had a sister-in-law live with us, God bless her soul. She lives in Pennsylvania now. She believed it was a, a, a man's job for whatever to take out the garbage, which I'm fine with. I got three boys to do that. <laughs> but she was so adamant about it, like she wouldn't touch it. So I'm going to see how long this goes. And so we would have trash starting to stack up the refrigerator. I was like, guys, you are off the hook. Do not touch the garbage. Just to see how long she would go. So silent treatment, I was like, all right, let's do this. We'll go a couple weeks. But in the midst of that, her heart, her prayer was, I got to know God in everything. I got to find him in everything. And maybe you've lost some earnestness in your life. And maybe you've lost some of that nous to be able to go after things like you did. Maybe you've stagnated in business because you've lost some of that earnestness that you had when you started it. Maybe you've stagnated in your relationships because you've lost some of that earnestness that you had when you started it. Maybe you ought to say sorry instead of being stubborn. I did eventually break the silent treatment. I, I, she made me come groveling back. But maybe we've gotten a little casual in our relationship with God. And casual was a couple years ago, church. There's no longer a place for casual in our relationship with God. There's no longer a place for casual in the things that we're going after. We have to be able to, to see because Joe Monaco taught me this, or, and he's been a long proponent of this, that sometimes it's easier to serve God when it's a mess than when everything's good. Because when everything's good, it gets a little casual. And you don't see God like you did when you found him and when that first day you got saved and you thought, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And then 20 years later, you're like, no, nah, I'm pretty good. I got good at my job. Got a good family. I know a lot about God. But do I still know God in the way that I thought? Do I still know God on a deeper level? I love what C.S. Lewis said in The Problem of Pain. He said, we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. So you can see it's a little easier to serve God sometimes when things are going wrong than when they're going right. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience, and he shouts in our pain. It's a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Because when you're going through it, you've got people around you and you begin to understand, I need help. And God is saying, I'm here. I'm chasing after you. Uh, the goodness of God is running after you. And so it's easy in the pain, but when it's all of a sudden it's a whisper, it's a little harder. And maybe it was all this culmination of, of things Whatever our argument was about is probably stupid. Her saying, I want to find God. Me being reminded, it was, uh, my son just turned 18. My oldest son just turned 18 recently. He's applying for college in the, or he had applied for college in the fall. And I don't cry. I'm not a crier. It's just, it's not my thing. I got like RBF and, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> for those that don't know, don't look that up. But around her 18th birthday, 
we're going around the table and people were saying nice things and everything like that. His brothers were saying sarcastic things like, oh, you're great, whatever. Um, and it got to me. And I could barely get a word out. It took so long. Now he was like, uh, Dad, you got nothing good to say? <laughs> but all I could remember was this kid I held in my arms that I whispered in his ear, and he'd lean in, and I'd whisper, I love you, and he'd lean in, and then he'd pull back, and I'd say, I love you, and he'd lean in, and it's the same thing God does in our pleasures, hey, I still love you. Are you still leaning in? Because I saw him write in his college essay, about his grandmother who passed away and how mad at God he was. And I remember being on the street when I, we got the diagnosis and bartering with God. Theology goes out the door. And I'm walking around my neighborhood, okay, God, that's cool. I'm a pragmatic guy too. I get it, you know, this type of cancer has got this sort of longevity. Da, da, da. Just get him to his graduation. Just get her to his graduation. That's like five years. Just get her to his graduation. And he'll be graduating in June, and she won't be here physically. And so I get it when God doesn't make sense how he can shout in our pain, but still there's got to be this earnest and thirst after a God that loves us, that I don't know why it's happening, but I'm going to find a way to glorify God. Because I love what St. Augustine, 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 however you want to say it. City in Florida is Augustine. I think the theologian's Augustine. Who knows? But I love what he said. God thirsts that we may thirst after him. Psalm 63, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek your face. I thirst for you. See, I'm the type of guy when I thirst, I would probably grab a Coke Zero or something else, and it doesn't really satisfy my thirst. It's a diuretic. It actually dehydrates you. It doesn't actually help you or quench anything inside your body, but somehow you keep picking it up and drinking it rather than picking up water. What do you keep picking up when you're thirsty that isn't fulfilling you, that isn't satisfying you, that isn't bringing you any relief, isn't bringing you any hope, isn't bringing you any healing, isn't bringing you any peace, isn't bringing you any restoration? What do you keep picking up over and over and over and over again rather than the thing that will satisfy that thirst? That's why he said in John 7, I'm the living water, take a drink of me. That's why with the woman at the well at John chapter 4, he's longing for her to simply ask for water because he knows that's where their encounter collides. Our thirsts are where our prayers collide. With God's desire and the call of our heart, it's our thirst where that collision happens. He thirsts that we thirst after him. Psalm 63, keeps going, earnestly I seek you. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I'm not sure what verse that is. That's verse number two. I have seen you in the sanctuary. There's a reason we do what we do because when you come here and when you're online and when you watch, you see God's presence at work. It's why we do what we do. 
Because if you don't see him here, you will fail to see him in all of this. You'll be busy trying to pick up the pieces yourself and chasing the wrong pieces all the time. Goes on to say, but I held your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. I will praise you as long as I live. And we come in sometimes and we need a word of God. And friend, let me tell you, your praise is your prophecy. Some of us couldn't sing the goodness of God this morning because you're like, there ain't no goodness in my life. Friend, that is you prophesying that the goodness of God is still after you, that it's still chasing you, that as you press in and you look to know God, that no matter what it is, the goodness of God is still after you. You can be like the psalmist in Psalm 27, 13, and 14 where David said, I am still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. What is your still? What are you still waiting on? What are you still believing for? What are you still hoping for? What is it the still that's in your life that you know the goodness of God is chasing after you? See, in our corporate worship, he shows up for everyone. It's in our earnestness and perseverance that he shows up for you, the individual. Do you know him? You may have been saved for 20 plus years. Do you know him? Do you know him better than you did 20 years ago? Where have you lost perseverance in your life? Where have you lost earnestness in your life to go after him? Are you trying to pick up these pieces and fragments by yourself? Because in verse 5 of that psalm, after all that progression that started with the simplicity of God, you are my God, I will be fully satisfied. Are you chasing satisfaction in God? Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This this isn't an Old Testament construct. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 over and over is reiterating, it's to know him. It's to know him more. He says in Philippians 3, 7 through 10, I've lost all things for the sake of Christ. What's more is I count them all loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. The surpassing worth. I count them all as garbage. Everything I've gained. It's not that he didn't have gains. And that's where the enemy will fool us. Just because you're having gains, you think, okay, I can just take the brakes off or I can ease up a little bit on the gas because you've had some gains. But he's still thirsting for you. He's still thirsting for you to thirst after him. Earnestly, I seek your face. And Paul goes on in verses 12 through 14, and he says, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. I've had gains, and I count them lost. Yeah, I'm there, but I don't have it all figured out. But this one thing I know, forgetting that which is behind me and pressing toward the prize that is knowing him, 